Welcome to Main Street Mesa, where we discuss issues around building a more human, people-centered community. glad that you can join us here on Main Street Mesa for a podcast talking with people in communities all around Mesa or communities like it about how they can get involved in the community, what they need to know in order to be informed advocates or informed uh, folks in their neighborhoods as to what it takes to build strong, safe communities, uh, whether that be land use or transportation or local government. So really excited to have you on. For the audience, who are you and what do you do? So um, I am a traffic engineer. So I am one of two owners at Greenlight Traffic Engineering. And just in short, Greenlight, uh, we kind of exist to help our clients solve interesting and complex traffic engineering problems. Um, really want to help communities improve the quality of life of all of their um, residents and the people that live and work in them. So Greenlight was founded in 2017, so a little over three years ago. And we have five uh, staff members that are roughly full-time um, and they're just passionate traffic engineers um, focused on engineering projects. And then we have a, a number of support staff as well that support us here at the Greenlight. Um, personally, I have uh, 17 years of experience in transportation traffic engineering space. Uh, my career has covered a lot of different categories from planning, design, operations, asset management, uh, compliance analysis, so I've kind of worked in a lot of different areas and had some diverse uh, project experience there. I've worked as a, a consultant for my whole career and then at uh, Greenlight, primarily head up our design practice, but I also am involved in a lot of the planning studies uh, and particularly in a lot of the regional safety plans that we've um, helped agencies develop across the state. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, you do, you're, you're getting involved in a lot of uh, data and everything across the region, it sounds like. And and I can definitely speak to you as uh, somebody who's dabbled in the design aspects and the challenges that then you're faced as somebody who's trying to design transportation facilities that balance out a number of different goals or values within the community that are politically feasible, sort of meet the market demands or demands that are perceived uh, within the community and trying to be the best servant possible, right? Right. Not, e not an easy job. So hats <laughs> off to you. Um, and this is uh, a crazy world, a crazy region that we live in uh, with all the auto dependence and everything that folks who have tuned into this podcast have heard me and others rant about uh, just how uh, much that can pull us away from goals of livability of being safe and being community oriented. So 
with that in mind, um, I think I'm talking to the right guy here. What <laughs> do you want to do more of in, in, with regards to uh, those goals in mind of livable, safe communities? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be a need for safety planning and doing more of that, I think, is is really important. You know, we've done all kinds of different projects from very small to very large regional plans um, and, you know, dashboarding, creating, you know, advanced analytics type things. And, you know, that's all great stuff and it helps inform decisions. But really what um, I love doing personally is analyzing the data and finding what treatments or what things can actually be done that are going to help improve a problem and show a real result. And um, that's, you know, as engineers, you know, we tend to see things as um, black and white and good or bad, but increasingly it's just, it's very gray because you, like you mentioned, you have so many competing interests when it comes to, you know, infrastructure and design, especially if you're working with agencies. Um, so really helping agencies to find a balance between both the safety of the roadway environment, as well as the operations to get, you know, all road users to where they need to go um, safely and efficiently. That's, that's really what's rewarding to me personally. Very good. And so, yes, yeah, so you're talking about what you're rewarded with there as uh, as a traffic safety expert. Uh, there's lots of attributes that you can think of um, within this profession. And so I'd like you to talk to a little bit about those attributes in your profession and what you, you talk about regional uh, interventions and design, like give folks a, an understanding of not just the attributes, but also sort of the scales of your work, if you will. Sure. So on kind of the smaller scales, a lot of times we'll do intersection studies or we'll help um, an agency or a client put together a, a grant application. So what you have to do with that is you would look at um, what kind of crash history they have at the intersection. You look at the treatment that you're recommending that's going to have a safety improvement. You look at the cost of that treatment and you weigh it against the economic and societal benefits of um, reducing crashes. So if those um, benefits outweigh the cost, you have a positive benefit cost ratio. So as long as you're greater than one, that you know the cost that the benefit is equal to the cost or the benefit is greater than the cost, then that's something that you might want to look at implementing um, from an economic standpoint. So those are some of the smaller studies that we do. And then um, I would say medium, sometimes we'll do like an area study or a corridor study, looking at safety, looked at uh, the, the benefits of going from uh, left turn lead phasing to lag phasing or vice versa, and some of the potential safety impacts of that. Um, Lead, me, leading uh, on left-hand turns, meaning before so, the through yeah. traffic, and then lag meaning after the through traffic. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's been a lot of debate over the years about which one is better, and they each have their individual trade-offs. And again, it comes down to you know your crash experience and um, what the benefits are from switching to one to, other, to the other, because there can be some safety benefits for doing that. And that's where you're looking to the data to tell you, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you're looking at the data and you're looking at, you know, economic analysis to help drive those decisions as well. So it's, it's a balance of a lot of different factors. And, uh, you know, what we come up with really is the recommendations and we are advising, you know, the decision makers as to what we would recommend. And ultimately that decision is theirs. So, and then when you go to the, the far end with regional safety plans, that's very highly focused on really the data and big picture thinking of what are the hot, where are the hotspots happening here? What are the key 
projects that we can do that can really help to reduce crashes, both, you know, injury and fatal crashes within this entire region. Where do, where do we put our focus? Where do we put our money? How, how should we program projects so that we're having an impact after we finish the study and implement it? Yeah. And when you're talking about regionally, there's obviously so many different contexts and different situations around the region. And it must get really hard to be able to pull out those values as any sort of overarching uh, type of values at the regional level, right? Is Can you speak a little bit about uh, how that makes this work interesting? Yeah, so I mean, depending on who you're talking to and, and where they live in the context, like you mentioned, they folks would have a, a different value potentially. So in the urban area, um, Typically, we break it up between urban and rural because they have different characteristics, crash characteristics, you know, and needs in the urban area. Really, we're focusing on, you know, intersections and and segments that are high volume roads Um, in terms of real values. um, It's been pretty well documented that areas of lower socioeconomic status tend to have higher fatal rates. And that's for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, those people don't have access to the transportation resources that a lot of others do. So they're on foot and they're on bike and they're not as protected as folks in cars. So those are some of the different values. Folks in the rural areas, their values are, you know, like emergency response time, because if somebody goes off the road on a two lane highway, you're pretty far away or could potentially be pretty far away from uh, in a, a medical facility. So getting a vehicle, an emergency responder out to somebody on a rural road, is, it's critical that that is, happens as quickly as possible. So there's, there's a lot of different values to balance. And then um, obviously there's the, the political um, value as well. Everybody wants to see a project happening in their region and how um, balancing that is not necessarily um, up to us, but that is a decision maker um, type of a value that plays into some of the project planning. Right. And so when you're making your recommendations, you're making uh, obviously a variety of recommendations based on those contexts. And then what what ends up happening is those projects get prioritized and those priorities are then shaped um, in the political realm. Uh, am I right? You're right. Yeah. So we can do um, our analysis and we'll rank on various criteria, whether that's, you know, number of crashes happening, the rate those crashes are happening, the severity of those crashes. And, you know, we can adjust the, the weightings of all those factors uh, as much as we want. And really, that's where you're putting your values necessarily into the analysis. But once the analysis is done and you have a preliminary ranking, there's, um, you know, and part of it you know, that plays into it is where have we already done a project? Where have we already spent money? Where are we waiting to see if there's already a safety benefit before we do something else? And then after all of that analysis is done, then, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the decision-making doesn't necessarily come down to us. It comes down to, you know, what do the constituents want to see? What do we as a planning agency or a, or a COG want to see? Yeah. And who, who helps make those decisions at the, at the regional level? Well, if it's, if it's like a metropolitan planning organization, MPO or a, a yeah. COG, which is a council of government, Right, which is our Maricopa Association of Governments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's our that's our local one here that uh, Mesa would fall into. Uh, but around the state, there's I think eleven or twelve different MPOs and COGS, and each one of those has a director, and each um, each MPO and COG has various um, leadership from each agency that sit on those um, technical advisory committees or transportation advisory committees. 
to help weigh in on these decisions. They pr provide um, you know, technical input to some of it, um, information. So those partnerships are key to helping you know, consultants that do this type of work um, implement or put together an effective plan that can be implemented. So those, and then once that is all done, they work together to figure out you know, whose projects should be funded. Yeah, so there's only so much that the numbers can tell us really at that regional level, right? But then you're the numbers guy. So let me ask you, is it is this get easier the the smaller the scale of the project? Like if you're looking at an intersection and you're looking at that data and you're trying to figure out whether the left-hand turns should be uh, leading or lagging, is it uh, does it get a little easier? Uh, yeah, I guess it can. There's just there's so many nuances when it comes to the actual traffic safety data that uh, I mean, for instance, you have uh, there's been some real issues that we found on some road safety audits that we've done where we really dig into the data. We try to look at a specific problem at an intersection. Um, you pull the actual written crash report that the officer put together and you go through each individual one that occurred in an intersection. And you start comparing that to the data that comes out of the actual database of Arizona. And we were coming up with uh, like a 30% difference between vehicles that were coded as a left turn crash and an angle crash. So the officers are kind of mixing those up, we found um, in a lot of cases. So really it relies on good reporting and quality control of crash data to make sure you're getting accurate um, answers and coming up with the right solutions. So I, I would I say, yeah, um, because you have less data to deal with, um, less um, input into the decision making and analysis, it's a little easier to do like an intersection analysis and it's quicker as well. But there can be just as many challenges in, in digging into the data because you're getting down to kind of the ground level, 10,000 foot, that you really have to start digging in and making sure you're making a good decision. Whereas kind of the more regional stuff, you're looking at you know more of an aggregated set of data and trying to make higher level decisions on where to focus going forward. Yeah, data is an interesting topic. You know, it's about how is it collected? Why is it collected? What were the questions that were asked? Why it was collected? There's all of these sort of preliminary decisions or, or values that even go into what data gets collected. So uh, the common mantra that I'm familiar with is it's super easy to, to um, count cars, not so much uh, the bicycles or the pedestrians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, the old adage, you know, and engineering adage of garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't have good data as your foundation, it's going to be really challenging to show a, a safety improvement or a safety benefit when the, the um, you know, infrastructure mitigations or whatever you're recommending goes in. So you got to kind of make sure that your your foundation is really set there before you get into it. And then the the adage, uh, the planning adage is build it and they will come. So <laughs> you add a lane, you get more traffic. You add a bike lane, you get more bicyclists. You widen a sidewalk, you get more pedestrians. Um, is that as an engineer who's trying to listen to your your planning colleagues as to uh, what data to collect or or which which weights to apply to the data? Uh, what's your response to that? Yeah, no, in, induced demand is is a is a real thing. So we can't. We can't build our way out of congestion. We just can't. We can operate it more efficiently and use it better for what we have, which is you know another thing that I really enjoy myself. But there's there's no building out of uh, out of congestion. I mean, once once a lane is there and people see that it's a, a quicker route because it's got another lane, they're going to use it. And you know your your arterials might get a little less congested, but the more routes you you have, the easier it is for people to get around, and the more apt they are to 
to uh, to use it. It's kind of the the behavioral economic kind of idea. Yeah, uh, I love when people bring up behavioral economics in this podcast. It's it's something that I can nerd out and read uh, read a ton about, and and try to find all sorts of applicability to how we inspire different behaviors within the built environment. You know, it's those physical fa factors, uh, the speed in which you travel, and and everything else that you see, the monetary investments spread out or concentrated more locally, depending on whether or not your traffic or your mobility options are spread out or more focused on locally so it's all about really what where people access and and i and i really appreciate um some of the the directions that i'm seeing conversations headed in, in terms of multi-mobility that changes the the system of access uh, and what we access and then i'm just waiting for the land use guys and the, and the development side to sort of catch up to this reality so I mean, that's where I'm seeing a lot of the industry change on my side as I'm waiting to see how development investments start to take into consideration the, the, the lessons learned over the last 60, 70 years where we've learned that induced parking is a thing, you know, like that's the, mm -hmm. that's the land use side of, of transportation, right? It's like if you offer free and easy access to parking at on site at a at a mall you induce traffic and so and then so you see the the donald jupes and everybody trying to and then donald jupes been saying this for you know 50 years 70 years <laughs> he's you know, at least 70 years but for for many decades and, and people are finally starting to catch up and, and 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 learn from that so that is a promising industry trend that i see intersecting with your work so from from that perspective where do you see the industry changing during your career and where do you hope it goes i think uh, in traffic engineering it's going to be increasingly focused on technology i mean it's you know right now we're kind of seeing the the battle of the analytics and big data um, vendors and agencies collecting their own big data is really kind of a, a growing area that's um, uh, between uh, like artificial intelligence you know, the deep learning machine learning neural networks computer vision I mean that's kind of the future of the industry and traffic safety um, it's not going to be here overnight and there's a lot of work to still do but I mean, even with the uh, you know the advanced um, systems that we're putting in cars today, the National Case Safety Council had uh, a little feature on it about how that's helping reduce crashes between you know the rear end um, system, uh, backing systems, reducing rear end crashes, um, lane departure warning systems, um, blind spot detection. All of those technologies are helping to reduce some of these crashes. Uh, I do worry about um, some of that when you still have the, the driver in the loop, as it's called, that some of that may end up making us less um, cognizant of what's going on and uh, maybe predispose us to being distracted while we're in our vehicles because we know we have these technologies kind of backing us up. My hope is that it continues to, to drive those numbers down until we have the, the drivers ultimately out of the loop um, when that act ultimately happens. I'm not sure what the, the horizon is. Some some say it's right around the corner. I'm more of the, you know, it's going to be a decade or so before we've got um, a fully autonomous or automated fleet. Right. So, but yeah, I would say increasingly it's, it's pushing into the technology and software and um, AI space is where 
a lot of traffic engineering is going to be going. I mean, we're already seeing that with the intelligent transportation systems that we're starting to put out on the road with, um, you know, uh, the signal systems being um, more automated, um, you know, automated data collection that you, know, you put a CCTV camera up at a closed circuit television camera up at an intersection and it, it's collecting turning movements of vehicles 24 seven, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year, just massive amounts of data out there that can be analyzed. And when we add technology to an intersection like that, it's probably um, more spatially efficient than just adding a lane or you know a, a dual left uh, every every intersection. Do you see that that those technologies being adaptive and how they respond to the the timeliness of what the data is showing them, like helping to reduce those physical uh, improvements and, and those wide intersections that ha come with a, a you know myriad of other problems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that technology is going to be key going forward, and it's going to continue to evolve and, and change and become more efficient. Um, there's even, you know, TMCs um, are starting to implement software that will read information coming from um, the field and be able to kind of predict where um, congestion may be leading, may have the potential to lead to crashes or adjusting timing, traffic signal timing on the fly to relieve congestion, even if, you know, there's, I mean, there's always limitations to any technology, including the adaptive stuff. Um, that and having a TOC or a TMC traffic management center is, uh, you know, still going to be a key um, factor in making our infrastructure more efficient and operate better. And with the, you know, an automated fleet coming up and um, vehicle to infrastructure communication, that's it's going to be you're going to going to have more information to help predict where people are going uh, to and coming from to. Um, basically grease the skids as best they can um, with the you know growing amount of trips. Right. And do you think that uh, the technology helps uh, the, the multimodal cause too, to help people feel safer outside of the vehicle? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things with the automated driving um, systems is, you know, detecting pedestrians to make sure that, you know, if there's a conflict, they can, they can break adequately and minimize or avoid completely any harm to, to a pedestrian. Um, I think the, the the challenge is always going to be you know a partially automated fleet um, and you know how how that is handled going forward and I'm sure there's a lot of policy and frameworks that uh, are going to continue to be developed and um, regulation that's going to have to um, occur before we're at that point. But my hope is that you know as this technology um, kind of grows and the fleet kind of turns over into more advanced technologies that yeah pedestrians bikes, um, all of those folks, maybe not necessarily feeling safer, but they will be safer, whether they feel that that way or not. That's, that's definitely the hope I think from a lot of people in the industry. You've been involved in, in designing, uh, responses, right? And so how much of your work gets into that perception versus just pure data, bring in colleagues or is there, is there like a go-to person that you're like, if you really want to know about perceived safety, I'd, I'd recommend. Uh, this gal or, or something like that? Um, well, I mean, my business partner, Mike Blankenship, I mean, he's yeah. um, another great um, traffic safety guy. I mean, he's a career traffic safety guy with 30 years of experience. If I ever have any kind of like human factors type question, um, he's a, a great person to go to in terms of, you know, pedestrian perception or things that maybe contribute contributing to a crash. The, I guess one thing I could mention here is uh, there's, you know, I mentioned computer vision, where it's, it's basically uh, 
you load video footage into an algorithm or a computer system and it will analyze the data and it can track basically where cars are going um, through an intersection. And there's kind of a growing um, technology called uh, post encroachment time uh, technology, which looks at how long of a time is it between when one vehicle enters an encroachment area and then a following vehicle enters that same area. So you basically have potentially like near miss type stuff. So you can analyze that data and intersections, for instance, that have a lot of you know, short post encroachment time, like a second to a second and a half. That means these vehicles are entering the same space in a very short period of time. There's a risk for crash, a crash at that location, even though it might not be showing up in the, in the data that can help predict and resolve problems before they start to occur. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but um, that kind of gets in between. I think my question kind of had two poles. You, you kind of like split it right down the middle, right there, right? Like okay. the, the difference between like perception and and data. And you went like with like you know like how data doesn't have to be uh, showing us the exact crash. It can just show us like how people uh, could perceive that danger or like those near and miss uh, situations. So uh, it's good to see that the industry is making uh, progress with regards to near misses and how we can learn from near misses. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the best crash to, to prevent is the best crash to have is the one that you prevent, right? You don't want to have people getting in accidents if you can do something about it or have enough information to make a decision before it happens. Great. So, I think we've learned a little bit now of what you like uh, about where the industry is going. Is there anything that you think is like a distraction within the industry that you wish that, you know, just policy expert or, or technical experts spend, spent a little less time uh, talking about? Yeah, I think in uh, in traffic safety in particular, there's there's a real focus on just the raw numbers in, in the crash data, which that can get you just so far. Um, and I understand why that is. I mean, the data is easy to understand. It's generally accessible, uh, but it doesn't necessarily get at the true picture of what the issue might be out on the road. So generally, um, with the advent of the high, highway capacity manual, the HCM is, or not Highway Capacity Manual, Highway Safety Manual, <laughs> HSM as it's referred to. Um, there's a uh, an approach that helps to predict crashes based on a certain set of roadway criteria, past history of crashes, um, and a given set of uh, constraints, what might happen on a road. And using the predictive analysis methodologies, um, they're more complicated, they're harder to understand, but I think it's it's a better tool in our toolbox to help reduce crashes or and especially identify locations that have a high potential that if you did an improvement at that location, that it would reduce crashes. Because if you when you focus on raw numbers and crash data, crashes in and of themselves are very rare and random events. So they're very hard to you know, you could have three crashes one year and then the next year you have no crashes. So was that attributable to um, some factor or is it just the random uh, occurrence of, of crashes that you know, nobody can uh, or you would have a very hard time predicting? So I think focusing less on the raw numbers, although they're, they're helpful and a baseline to get you started and focusing more on some more advanced um, analysis methodology, I think is probably the, the best use of the time. The, the challenge of it is that the predictive methodologies are more time consuming and costly. So um, that's kind of the drawback of, of that. Okay. That's, uh, that's interesting to, uh, to learn from that. When you're 
identifying that there's those drawbacks, are you seeing that your colleagues are acknowledging it and knowing knowing how to then respond to that acknowledgement, or is there still a struggle as to what's next? Um, I think you know, in, among you know, traffic safety professionals, I think they've responded to that, and I'm seeing more response to it. Uh, that the uh, safety analyst is kind of a big crash predictive um, software analysis tool. And more and more, I see DOTs adopting that, departments of transportation adopting that. Um, but it is very, um, it has a lot of overhead to not only implement it, but also to run it. You need to have some specialized skills. I think what I think is promising is that uh, kind of the emergence of what's being called data science is a, as a growing field and is, become, is becoming more and more important. Um, as we do more with technology and data, managing it, analyzing it, trying to draw insights from it. I think we'll see as that field grows that you're going to see more agencies um, coming up with more efficient and better ways to implement uh, predictive crash analysis um, going forward. And then there's the the attitude that people have towards, um, well, there's just human error. What, what are you going to do about that, Scott? I mean... Uh, just people are going to step out of the road and do stupid things every time. And we, we see it all the time, Scott, what, what do you want us to do about it? What, what What's your response? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a hard one because it, it takes a, a shift in the, the mentality and that's, and there's a couple um, uh, philosophies that kind of address that. The first being uh, vision zero, really that takes the approach that, uh, you know, we know that drivers are going to make mistakes. They're going to not pay attention. They're going to, they're going to drive drunk. We can't prevent that. But knowing that, what can we do as um, safety professionals, whether we're in transportation, whether we're mechanical engineers working in cars or software engineers working on you know, automated uh, driver systems, what can we do knowing that drivers are going to make mistakes? How can we make the roadway and vehicle environment more forgiving so that those mistakes don't end up in serious injuries and fatal crashes? Yeah. And then so there's a that's more physical design. That's more technology. Is it uh, an either or proposition or both? And? I, I think it's all all of the above. It, it takes a, a coordinated um, and joint approach to all of that between the, the car industry, um, the you know the infrastructure, civil engineering, design, transportation industry, and then the, the software industry. And then not only that, but also you know our politicians to say that you know this is a worthy effort and put money towards those. Um, improvements to help uh, make a more forgiving roadway environment. And when we decide where to put that money and you had already mentioned from like through an equity lens that it's those neighborhoods that don't have the discretionary income to devote towards the, the easiest accessible high mobility modes that protect themselves. Do you see that there is a cause or um, a role for somebody like yourself? to recommend or make recommendations pointing out that these are the most underserved communities and that's where the money uh, ought to start? Yeah, I guess in terms of <laughs> recommending where the money um, gets spent, I, I'm not 100% sure um, if that's the, the best role for um, consultant. I think generally what we try to do is point out where the issues are and we've, we've analyzed it and in several safety plans and um, that we know that these are issues that 
this, you know, the underserved communities have the highest risk for a, a traffic crash strike with a vehicle, whether they're on foot or on bike. So we know that that's where the, the issues are. And we, you know, rec will recommend projects in those areas. Ultimately, we, we don't make the, the decisions. We're you know, really, in, in essence, we're paid for our, our advice and our recommendations and the, uh, the elected officials and the, the, the uh, decision makers at the agencies are really, you know, tasked with making those decisions. All right. So I guess if I'm the, the guy who in the community wants to make recommendations or add to your data um, for the, those kind of raw traffic analytics, and I have a value proposition to offer, uh, I guess I, I need to start looking at that, that data and that, that, uh, that correlation that you point out that those underserved communities are the ones that are most vulnerable and help help layer on top of your data with with some of that equity focused data. No, absolutely. I mean, I think those communities need advocates that, um, you know, people in those underserved communities don't have access to get to these meetings uh, or even have maybe even internet access, even if we're doing it online to, to make it to these things. So they need advocates that are speaking on their behalf um, for these traffic safety issues. And I've seen, you know, some agencies will put um, people at their agency to be advocates for pedestrian and crash, uh, pedestrian and bike crash issues in those positions to, you know, advocate for improvements in these underserved communities. So absolutely. I mean, if, if you can do anything to make it to some of these uh, stakeholder meetings or, you know, be part of council meetings when these are presented and make your, you know, your, your thoughts and, and desires known, that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that you can do to help um, let your elected officials know that this is an important issue to you. And I'll point out that here in Maricopa County, we have uh, the Department of Public Health that does um, have a focus a little bit on this this issue as to from a public health lens. And so I think that that's a interesting intersection and potential um, space for collaboration. Mm -hmm. When the city is putting together a team and they're, they hire you, um, it'd be nice for them to complement that with the, the right mix of other priorities and and put those priorities in the in the request for proposal up front or in the in the work uh front load that the those expectations up front so that the advocates don't have to come in on the backside. Um, yeah and, so. I, and i'm seeing more of a push for the kind of the equity element of that um and it hasn't been you know prevalent um in past years but i am seeing a, a push for more of a, a at least a look at what the equity in not just in traffic safety but in, in a lot of plans going forward that it's not just going to be about you know solving a traffic congestion problem or a safety problem we're going to look across the board at you know who, who else needs to be engaged in this and where else do we need to do it other than just where um, we might see the, the need um, in certain areas so I guess I've, I've added, I've added my piece to this, but I'll ask you for, and you can come at this at a completely different angle, please. If, if all of what we've been talking about the listeners at this point, really shaking their head and thinking that this is something that they can come away from this conversation, more informed and ready to, ready to take action. Like what's the simplest thing that you would say that somebody can do to improve uh, traffic safety, whether it being in their, their neighborhood, their, their city or their region? 
Well, I guess number one, I, well, although, you know, the, the vision zero that we talked about is, you know, taking the, the reverse ethical approach that, you know, people are going to do things wrong, but, you know, anything you can do to not be distracted while you're driving, um, drive, you know, safely, uh, you know, avoid high risk uh, driving behaviors, that's, that's going to help um, not only you, but the people in your community, you know, be safer in general. Um, in terms of solving traffic safety problems that are outside of human behavior, I mean, advocating for safety funding is probably one of the biggest things to do alongside um, advocating for analysis of you know, where specific problems might be that need to be uh, resolved. So, and doing that, you know, you can find various advocacy groups um, with, you know, MAD and SAD and, but I would say, you know, town council, let them know that if you have safety concerns, any other elected officials that you may work with uh, or community groups, but really, um, we can't solve any safety problems or it's very difficult to solve safety problems without um, funding for not only infrastructure improvements, but uh, education and enforcement as well, uh, alongside with emergency services and making sure that they can get to and from where they need to be um, to respond to incidents. Yeah. And if if people find the success in expanding those uh, those funding opportunities uh, to do more of this work, then that also expands that partnership proposition that I guess uh, I led this topic with. Um, so uh, I think that there would be enough of a pie to, to bring on more sub consultants under uh, under your types of studies. Would you welcome that? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I mean the the need is is large. I, it's and it's not going away anytime soon. Um, I hope to see you know that we turn the numbers down. We had something like thirty nine thousand fatalities in the U.S. Um, last year, so it's a it's a very large public health concern that I think we can make a lot of strides. And I think we are making a lot of strides, but we never want to rest of on our laurels. We want to keep uh, pushing forward and reducing crashes. Yeah, there's a report that's out by either Smart Growth America or Transportation for America. Either way, they're they're sort of a uh, a partnership organization that does some nationwide advocacy. But they've released that report, Dangerous by Design, mm -hmm. and it identifies our region as as some of the the most you know um, sad, uh, the highest ranking, if not the top, the second from the top. Um, so. Yeah, uh, <laughs> when it comes to if there's enough work for you, Scott, I think that uh, there's there seems to be plenty on the table, yeah. um, and that that's uh, I guess that means that um, you have plenty of work to do. But at the same time, it's, it's sad that that we have so much work to do. Um, yeah, in the, in the same vein. Well, it's been really great talking to you, Scott. Um, but before I just uh, keep on peppering you with my questions, I want to take a pause and just ask you, um, based on everything that we just talked about, what should I have asked you that I didn't? Um, well, that's a great question. Um, maybe if I've ever been in a traffic accident or, I mean, oh. that's a question you can always ask anybody. I guess maybe that's good to close on. I mean, this is a problem that affects pretty much all of us. If you've been around for more than 10 years or, you know, been in this world for any time, you've known somebody or a loved one that's either been in a crash or, or, or you know, been a fatality in a crash. So it's not just a, a data crunching um, problem to me. It's a, it's a real problem that's got emotional impacts and affects families. Um, it's not just economics. It's, you know, 
it affects communities. So uh, and I think that's why Greenlight and our, the folks in our firm are passionate about it is because we don't want to see that to happen to any of our friends, any of our families. It's, it's, uh, it's just a tragedy that when it does happen. Hey, look at that. The engineer who's the data guy has the emotional side as well that uh, knows that can't be quantified. Um, that is, um, that's, uh, that's an excellent note to add on Scott. So um, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for your passion. And I think that the region is in good hands with uh, experts like yourself coming to the table and offering us all this great advice as to how we start turning the tide against the, the dangers that exist on our roadways and the harms that it puts onto us and, and our loved ones. So I, uh, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a real pleasure, Ryan. Awesome, thank you so much.